Grab your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Jude, chapter 1. Jude, chapter 1. Jude is the second to last book in the Bible, if you're wondering where it's at. It's also one of the shortest books in our Bible. Uh, It's basically one page long in my Bible. I don't know how long it is in yours. It's not real long, one chapter, 25 verses. And uh, we're going to talk about a few of those today. Uh, thank you for allowing me to be out both last Wednesday and uh, the f- this past Sunday. Uh, I heard that uh, Mom, Pastor Renee, did a great job last Sunday. Did you enjoy her, her ministry? I heard, and the women's meeting, her, we had a great time Sunday night as well. Uh, thank you all for uh, being here and making that a wonderful occasion. Um, last Sunday we were at youth camp and had a, just a tremendous time on Sunday morning while you were here. We went to youth camp, and I, I spoke for just a few minutes on Sunday morning, and uh, God led me to do a short teaching on water baptism, and then immediately after service, we baptized a hundred and something people right there in the pool. This was outstanding. Uh, last Wednesday, my wife and I were in Flagstaff, Arizona, at a Churches in Covenant uh, retreat there, and I found out late Tuesday evening uh, Pastor Mike Hayes, who is one of my heroes in the faith, said, oh, by the way, uh, I need you to preach tomorrow night. I was like, I didn't even bring my Bible. <laughs> so uh, that's true. I didn't even bring my Bible. But uh, anyway, so I borrowed my dad's Bible, and I had a wonderful opportunity to, to uh, preach Wednesday night. I had a great time there. So thank you for allowing me to be out uh, the, the last couple of services. But I'm looking forward to sharing the Word of God with you today. Jude, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for your presence that we felt here today. I'm asking you that as we open your word today, you would open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. Touch us today. Strengthen us. Encourage us. Uh, Allow us to see clearly uh, the traps that the enemy has laid before us. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you today, and I I may not get it all finished this week. If not, we'll we'll pick it back up. But I want to talk to you on this subject, uh, contending for the faith. Jude said, I I found it necessary to write you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. What does it mean to contend earnestly for the faith? What is the faith? Questions that I want to ask tonight as we go through these first four verses of Jude's letter. Well, Jude, uh, we're not 100% sure on who wrote the book of Jude or who Jude was, Jude is short for Judas. There were six Judases in Scripture. But because they didn't want to connect him with the Judas who betrayed Christ, uh, they shortened it and they called him Jude. Uh, 
It's most probable, uh, most theologians would agree that this Jude was the half-brother of Jesus, also the brother of James, who wrote the book of James. It's believed that both of these men were the half-brothers of Jesus. Uh, And what's interesting to note about both of these men is that neither of them believed in Jesus as the Messiah until after his resurrection. These were the half-brothers of Jesus, and they didn't even believe in him. When your family doesn't believe in the God in you, in the Christ in you, don't be upset. But when God does the miraculous in you, and when he works his resurrection power in you, then he is revealed through you, and your family might then come to believe. So don't get discouraged when they say, we don't believe that, we know you. See, his brothers knew Jesus. They were there throwing rocks at each other and playing games and, and having, I don't know if they were like my kids, but my kids argue a lot. I, I was driving down the road the other day, a couple of weeks ago, on a, uh, I believe it was on a Sunday, maybe it was a Saturday, and I was just spending a little time with the family, and my kids were going berserk, man. And I pulled, and we were on this feeder road uh, uh, out between Vider and Orange out there coming down I-10, and I had just had enough. And there's this old run-down uh, uh, gas station with bars over the windows, and it, and it was it was just trash. And, and I said, "Kids, we were stopped at the stoplight." I said, "If y'all argue one more time, I'm going to pull over and leave you at that gas station." I was. You, you ever been there? My son, who's four, said, "Not cool, Dad. Not cool." <laughs> then he said, "This creepy is not cool." <laughs> I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> So his son, these, these brothers of Jesus, they, they didn't believe that he was the Messiah until after his, his resurrections. But once they got it, they got it. Um, but, but no, and I say that because watch here. This being the brother of Jesus, watch how Jude defines who he is. Jude, a brother of Jesus Christ. Is that what it says? No. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. In today's society, you know good and well, we would have written this letter and been like, I'm the brother of Jesus. We'd have been calling everybody saying, you need to have me come preach for you because I'm the brother of Jesus. That's, what, that's, that's, that's the world we live in today. We use anything we can to get a little extra credibility and reputation. But not, not Jude, because Jude understood something. More important than my, my earthly relationship with Jesus is my spiritual relationship with Jesus. And because of what he did for me on the cross, it was the same blood that saved you, saved me. The same blood that saved Peter, saved Jude, and saved James. The same Jesus that resurrected did it for everybody. So they said, listen, it doesn't even matter that I'm a a brother of Jesus. All that really matters is that I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Speaks to the... uh, the mentality from which he writes this letter, the, the belief in his heart, the conviction of what God has done for him. Both he and James make this same statement, we are bond servants of Christ. Similar statement to that which Paul made in almost every letter. Uh, they valued their eternal relationship with Christ more than their, than their earthly relationship. 
So let's look at these first couple of verses. Notice he says, he's going to tell us who he's writing this letter to. So let's just be right up front and right clear about this. Is anyone else freezing in here tonight? Uh, can somebody help me back? No, I, it is freezing. It's that vent right there that is just wearing me out. No, no, that one right there. These people over here aren't cold. It's everybody sitting right in front of this vent right here. Lord have mercy. Thank you, Mark. Let's, let's look at who he's writing this letter to. Um, so that no one can say, well, this letter wasn't for me. Here, here's what it is. To those who are called, sanctified, and preserved. He is writing this letter to Christians, to the church. The call. If you are, are a, if, if a person is a Christian, he is a Christian because God has called them. All we do is answer the call. All we do is answer the phone when it's ringing. All we do is say yes. That's all we do. Jesus, or God, called us. So he's talking about people who have answered the call. He's talking to the church. He says those who are sanctified, meaning set apart from the world or set apart unto God. Those who are in the process of sanctification. For some people, you give your life to God. He fills you with the Holy Spirit. You're baptized. And, and all the temptations and all the struggles and all the strains in your life just go away. God delivers you from everything. But for many people, dare I say most people, it doesn't happen that way. For many people, we give our lives to God and then we start the process of sanctification where God is working on the inside of us and he's removing the old habits and the old hang-ups for us. When we give our hearts to Jesus and we say the sinner's prayer, it doesn't mean that every old thing is gone and now every time a temptation comes, we can just easily say no. How many of you wish it was like that way? Uh, my father-in-law... Uh, Pastor Jerry Parsons has an incredible testimony, absolutely unbelievable testimony uh, that just speaks to me. Uh, when he got saved, he was a bona fide alcoholic. <laughs> I mean, he, he was to the core, drunk almost every day, all day. This is the way he lived his life. He, he was totally uh, addicted, struggling with alcohol. wasn't even struggling with it. didn't even care to struggle with it. He was just an alcoholic and enjoying every moment of it. When he came uh, to Jesus on a little United Pentecostal church over in Shreveport, wasn't it? Louisiana. Uh, the power of God hit him so strong. And he says it, it was like uh, uh, heat or fire went all the way through his body as he was laying on the ground there and God was touching him. And when he got up off of that floor, he was completely and 100% delivered from, uh, from alcoholism and, and the, the struggle and the addiction and has never struggled with it again in however 30-something years since that day happened. Wow. I wish it happened that way for everybody. It just doesn't seem to. So we're in this process of sanctification where next year you won't look like you did this year because God is in the process of sanctifying you or setting you apart. So you say, well, Pastor Ren, I, I gave my life to God. I'm doing my best to live for him, and I'm, I'm going forward, and I'm, I'm studying my word, but I still struggle with things. It's okay. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Keep reaching, keep stretching, keep striving, keep contending, and God will keep working you through the process of sanctification. Can I get a great big amen? amen. <clears throat> Watch what he says here in verse 2. I, I love this verse. It's very similar to what Paul writes in his letters, but it's a little bit different. 
mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Mercy, uh, not giving you what you deserve. Grace is, is when God gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy is where God doesn't give us what we do deserve, right? Your kids deserve a whipping, but you have mercy on them and don't give them a whipping, right? Grace is where your kids don't deserve a, a, a lollipop, but you give them a lollipop anyway. Mercy is where you, you earned yourself a whooping. I don't know how many of you got spankings growing up, but you lucked out. I got whoopings, okay? There is a difference. But I, I earned a, a, a whipping, but my father had mercy on me and didn't give me what, what, what I did deserve. You, do you understand the difference? Now, uh, the grace of God is amazing, and, and Jude's going to write about it here in just a moment. But, but man, how good is the mercy of God? How much do we deserve in our life that God has just said, no, 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 I'm going to have a little mercy on you today. Watch, mercy, peace, oh, the peace of God in our life, the peace that passes all understanding and love be multiplied to you, not added to you, multiplied. I want that in your life. I want that in my life. Let mercy and peace and love be multiplied. Jude didn't want you to just, well, let me give you just a little bit more today. He said, whatever you have, I want it multiplied in your life. Now, there's a couple of ways that it can be multiplied. The first way that that you can multiply the mercy and the peace and love in your life is to sow mercy and peace and love. You sow it, you'll reap it. But we don't just reap exactly what we sowed. We reap what we sowed multiplied. You plant one apple seed, it doesn't turn into one apple, it turns into a tree that produces over the course of 30, 40 years, hundreds, maybe thousands of apples, right? So one seed is then multiplied. So if you want mercy and peace and love to be multiplied to you, what you do is you sow mercy and peace and love. So what, what someone else has done to you and they deserve to be treated in a certain way, you say, you know what, I'm going to show mercy today. And that mercy will be multiplied back to you. When, when you. when you have every right to sow strife and anger and bitterness and frustration, you say, no, 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 I'm going to sow peace. And then it will be multiplied back to you. When you have every right to, to shout at somebody and hate someone, instead you sow love, it will then be multiplied back to you. So m- the process of multiplication isn't just in our finances. It is in mercy and peace and love and every other good thing that comes from God. If you sow it, it will be multiplied back to you. Not just added back to you, but multiplied. Pastor, I don't have enough peace in my life. No problem. Sow some peace and watch it be multiplied back to you. The other way is exactly what Jude does right here. When he commands the blessing of God over our lives. When he says it. You have the power to speak things into existence. So when Jude writes, he, he's writing these words, he's, he's pinning these words here, and he's, he's declaring over every person who reads this, including you today, mercy, peace, love, be multiplied to you. And in Proverbs chapter 18, and verse 21, says, uh, life or death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
The power of God is standing behind your words and whatever you speak, his power then goes out there and creates. So when you speak over someone in your life, mercy and peace and love, or someone speaks it over you, it then multiplies it. The power of the tongue. Well, let's get down to the meat of the subject now. I love that part, and tonight before we go, I'm going to pray that blessing over you today. How many of you would love to have mercy, peace, and love multiplied back to you? Verse 3. Uh, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common faith, Jude had planned to write this letter on this issue of our common faith, or our common salvation. The word common here, when he refers to common salvation, he he doesn't mean that it's cheap or that everyone has it. Sadly, not everyone has salvation. Even though there are many people that do think they have it, they, they may not have it. But it's not common in a cheap way. But it's common because God doesn't have one way for some people to be saved and another way for other people to be saved. He doesn't have one way for the rich people and one way for the poor people. He doesn't have one way for Americans to be saved and one way for the rest of the world to be saved. No, he has one way that is common for everyone. There is one door, and that door is named Jesus Christ. And the only way to get there is through him. It's a common salvation. But he says, I was going to write to you about this subject, but as I began writing and as I began praying about this letter... The Holy Spirit spoke to him and led him to write something else. Here's what he said I had to write about. I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend for the faith. Contend uh, here comes from the athletic world. Uh, Probably most specifically in the Greek world, he's referring to a a wrestling term or something to do with a wrestling mat and a wrestling match. Uh, It's the strengthened form of a a word meaning to agonize. So if if you think about the word to agonize, it literally is even stronger than that, meaning to press and contend and work so hard that you antagonize or, or agonize over it and you still work some more. Are you with me? It's a strong word that he used here. Then he says he uses the word earnestly, to contend earnestly. Earnestly means that it is continual. The Greek word here means that it is, that it is continual, that we can never stop contending for the faith. Why? Because it's been said that Christianity is one generation away from extinction. What does that mean? If one generation stops contending for the faith, stops preaching the word, stops declaring the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ, stops preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand, in one generation all can be lost. And 2,000 years of history from the days of Jesus to now would be extinct if we stopped contending for the faith. We can never, ever stop. We can never stop because there's always a job to do. There is always someone else out there who needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ. There is always another person, another nation, another country, another tribe, another village. Uh, There's another family that needs to hear the message of Jesus. So we never stop contending. We contend because uh, the faith is valuable. If you went to an art museum and there were no guards... 
There were no locks on the doors. There were no alarm systems. There was, it was just art. And you walked in and people were just taking stuff and walking off. You would go, this, this art must not be worth anything. Right? Because there's nobody protecting it. There's nobody guarding it. There's nobody contending for it. But... If you go into one of the nicer art museums in, in the nation, you go into the Smithsonian or, or places like this, the, uh, you, you go into these art museums and, and they're security guards, you have metal detectors, you, you have electronic sensors on every painting, you, you, you have video cameras and bars and the whole deal and the most um, state-of-the-art security systems, you think to yourself, wow, this must be some valuable art hanging on the wall here. Right? Because it's worth protecting. If it's not valuable, it's not worth protecting. But valuable things are worth contending for. They're worth protecting. So Jude says, your faith is so valuable that it's worth contending for. It's worth earnestly, continuously uh, keeping on contending or agonizing until the day Jesus comes. Because it is that valuable for us. It's so, that, it's so valuable that more people have given their lives for the sake of the gospel in the last 100 years than in the 1900 years before that all added together. You think we live in a day when martyrdom doesn't happen, but in reality, more people have given their life for the sake of the gospel in the last 100 years than in the 1900 years between Jesus and the, and the year 1900. People are giving their lives every day because they're contending for the faith. They're not going to stop fighting because it's worth it. So how is it that we contend? Well, there's a number of ways. Well, we can contend in positive ways. This is sharing our faith with others. This is serving the house of God and the kingdom of God, sending out missionaries or going somewhere as a missionary, short term, long term. There's many ways that we can have a positive impact uh, contending for the, for, the, for the faith. Also, we can contend in negative ways. What I mean there is by withholding our support and encouragement from those who are compromising the faith. I'm going to tell you the truth. There are, there are preachers in this world who seem to be famous, but I don't support them. I'm not getting up and blasting them, but if you ask me, I'll tell you, I don't support them because I don't believe that they are preaching the uncompromising word of God. So I'm not going to give them my support and encouragement. Then there are practical ways. We do this by living the Christian life as a witness. When you live it out, you are contending for the faith. And when we give credit to God who changed and empowered us, we are contending for the faith. So what then are, are we contending for? Because some things are not worth contending for. Some, some mountains are not worth dying on. Uh, everything I do in my life, uh, you know, we all live on, on, on limited time and limited finances. If, raise your hand if you have unlimited time. Raise your hand if you have unlimited resources. I want to know you. I want to be your friend. <laughs> so because of that, I, I believe that wise people measure cost they measure return or reward, and they measure motives when they, are, when they are looking at things and deciding what to do or what not to do. If I'm going to make a, uh, an expenditure, if I'm going to pull into my time or my resources, I want to know what I'm getting in return so that I can then decide whether or not it's worth me investing my resources, right? Doesn't that sound like wisdom to you? 
Because some things are good. It's not that they're bad. It's just when you compare what I'm getting in return with what it's going to cost me, I say, no thanks. Right? Uh, my wife is always trying to eat, get me to eat certain diet foods and things and, and drink this and drink that. And, and, and there are certain things when I say, you know what? Just no thanks. I'll just drink water. Because it's not worth the cost of putting that stuff down my throat. I'll just drink water and green beans and grilled chicken. I'll be all right. Because it's not worth it. So we measure cost. We measure return. We measure motive. Why do we measure motive? Because you can do the wrong thing for the right reason. It'd still be the wrong thing. The wrong thing. Right reason. But it's still the wrong thing. So we got to measure. Uh, you, you know you can be sincerely wrong. You can be doing everything you can to do the right thing, but be doing the wrong thing in sincerity, and it's still wrong. Not because you're evil, because you're sincere in it. You're just, we're just wrong, because we don't know, we don't understand, and, we, and, we, and God hasn't revealed certain truths to us. So therefore, we're sincere, we're just sincerely wrong. So what are we contending for? Uh, I believe that we have to know what we're contending for and that it is worth it or we will give up when the battle gets difficult. This is why I believe that God has been taking me back to the basics uh, as we preach specifically on Sundays and we've been going back through the fundamentals of Christianity. If you look back across the course of this year, uh, many of our series, series called Why Pray? Why are we praying? That's fundamentals of Christianity, and yet I want you to know what you're contending for and why. Series is called uh, I Am who is Jesus really? Because we want to know who Jesus is. Who are we giving our lives to? Before I give my life to someone, I want to know who I'm giving it to. Right now we're in a series called The Forgotten God, studying the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. Why? We need to know about the Holy Spirit. We need to know what we're contending for. One of the series I'm going to do probably next uh, is, is going to be on worship. Why are we worshiping? Why do we do this thing? What are we contending for? we got to know. The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If you don't know, it can't help you. If you don't know what you're contending for, it can't help you. I want you to know so you can weigh it out and decide, like I have, this thing is worth contending for. This thing is worth the sacrifice. So if you don't know or believe it or understand it, how can you then defend it? If you don't understand what you're contending for, you don't know what you're contending for, you can't defend it. It's, it's one of the reasons why uh, Christians are, are so often, we get into arguments or debates about faith. And, and we get into it with, with people, and oftentimes, a couple of things happen. I see Christians so often get in, in debates, debates with people, and a few things happen. Number one, the person they're debating has no interest in what you really believe. They're just combating for the sake of, of just having a war. They don't really care what you're saying, right? They're just trying to prove you wrong. Uh, I encourage you, don't be combative with people, right? It's not helping anybody. It's not helping anybody. Don't, don't be combative with people. Don't, don't feel like you've got to defend Christianity uh, just because someone is, is trying to say something about you or the Word of God when if they're not really listening, just bow out gracefully. Okay? There's, just bow out gracefully. When I was a, a senior in high school, I was in an AP government class, and our, one of our coaches was the teacher, and there was this little girl, uh, her name was Randa, um, sweet little girl, and he would draw her into these religious debates every single day, and he didn't care one lick what she thought. 
All he was doing was messing with her mind. She left in tears almost every single day uh, because he was just beating her up and beating her up and didn't even care what she had to say. He wasn't listening. He was just trying to prove her wrong and break down her faith. Don't allow people to do that to you. It's, it's a trap. Do I, am I saying to you, don't defend your faith? Absolutely not. If some, I, I have conversations all the time with people about the truth of the Word of God. And, and, and when they're open, God speaks and, and speaks through me and the Word of God. And uh, an impact is made because God's Word can speak for itself. God's Word is the truth and it doesn't lie. And, and if you stick to that, you can't lose. Um, so just be careful in that. So... What was I saying? Ah, yes. If you don't know what you believe, uh, how can you uh, understand it? Let me get, uh, Pastor Dino, let me get get your help. And uh, Mark, let me get your help. Stand up here real fast. Pastor Dino, you're going to be our our unsaved person. You're just a heathen from way back. All right. Mark, you come over here. All right. Mark is going to represent Jesus. You look like a good Jesus. See, he's a heathen from way back. You're just, a, you're just the pure and love and light. It's a wonderful thing. Now, the thing about unchristians, uh, uh, non-Christians and unbelievers is that when they look at Jesus, when they look at God, when, when, when they look at Christianity, they look at it through a lens. Get your sunglasses on. Somebody got a pair of sunglasses? I, I left mine in my truck. No one has a pair of sunglasses in the whole room. You got one? Here we go. Miss Pam, right here. Man, I, oh, yes, they got sparkles on them and everything. Ooh, this is going to be good. Can Pastor Dino put these on for a minute? Absolutely. Put these on, Pastor Dino. Come on now. We were driving. Uh, we flew into Phoenix. Uh, we, we flew into Phoenix, met mom and dad there, and, got, and they, they had rented a car, so we were driving north to Flagstaff. Dad forgot his sunglasses, so mom gives him her pink big swiggly feathers and bling and flamingos i kid you not and he's driving down the road just loud and proud <laughs> Lindsay got so disturbed she went to marshall's that day that next day and came back and said i bought you a pair of sunglasses bishop because i can't be having this he thought it was generosity no 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 it was pride she couldn't be having her father-in-law and her pastor driving down the road in pink flamingo glasses but you look good though you look you look good all right here here's the thing when the unsaved person looks at Jesus and looks at Christianity, he looks through a lens like these sunglasses. Look a little dark right now? Yes. Looks a little dark. If they were red, it would look red. If they were blue, when, when I was uh, about 16 years old, we, they, we were in this phase where blue sunglasses were cool. I don't know if y'all remember that or not. And uh, I may or may not have owned a pair. And then it was the mirror sunglasses. I don't know if you remember that. Can't be letting anybody else see what you're looking at. You know, really, it was so you could check out girls and nobody would know it. I'm just being honest. That's what it was about. I had to to give my life to Jesus again after the mirror sunglasses. Too much? Okay. So when, a Christian, when an unchristian looks at Jesus, they are looking through a lens. The question is, what is the lens? You can take them off now. Because the lens is not a pair of sunglasses. You are the lens. So for Pastor Dino to see Jesus, most often he looks at Jesus right through me. 
Remember, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But in another moment, he said, you are the light of the world. Why? Because the light of the world, when he's in you, shines through you. And now you become the light of the world through which the unsaved might get connected to or, get, or see the true light of the world. I'm not the true light of the world. He's the light of the world. But when he's in me, I become a light so that he can see God through me. So I am the lens. I am the filter. And this is the importance of why we have to live right and contend for the faith and be Christ-like. Because if I call myself a Christian, he doesn't know if I'm a Christian or not, but because I say I'm a Christian and he knows maybe I'll go to church, maybe i read my Bible, this or that, he is looking at me and assuming that I am living and being like Jesus. Therefore, when he sees me, he sees his, his perception of who Jesus is. But if I'm living off, his perception is off. If I'm living any way I want to, he's looking at me thinking he sees Jesus, but he's seeing something totally, totally different. Wow. So we have to understand what we're contending for so that we can live it so that the people around us can see the truth of the word of God, the truth of Jesus Christ. And what you did in me, he can do in you. I used to be like you. But he touched me. See what he did for me? Can you look through me and see Jesus? Because if you can't look through me and see Jesus, then something's off. Thank you, Pastor Dino. Mark, thank you. Do you grasp what I'm saying? The importance. You are the filter. You are the lens. Every person who says they're a Christian, is a lens. What are we contending for? Well, we're contending for the faith. Not your personal faith in your heart, but the essential truths of the gospel. Here's what Jews said. They were once for all delivered to the saints. It's very common today to just make up our own faith. Just make it up. Just... We live by the things we like, but we throw away the, the, the rest. We like it when, when God said in Malachi chapter 3, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that you can't even contain. Boy, we like that and we love it and we can shout, but we don't even want, we just act like it's not even there where he said to bring all the tithe into the storehouse. So we live by faith that he's going to open up the windows of heaven, but, but we don't, we don't want to bring, no, I don't really like that part, so I'm just going to. You know, some people have a holy yellow highlighter and some people have, they, they just kind of scratch that part out. You ever heard, you, you ever know when people preach around a scripture but not really preach the scripture? They preach parts of it and, and you just forget about the rest. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, you can ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Hallelujah. But we forget about the part where he said, if your words abide, if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. If, your word, if his words don't abide in you, you don't get to ask what you desire and have it done for you. But we don't like that part. We just like to ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. We live by the things we like and we throw out the rest. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 I won't stay here long. Uh, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, and not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, 
Watch this. And this, this verse is taken so out of context. One day I'll try to preach a whole message on it for you. But, but he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is so common in today's world for people to take this verse and say, well, the Bible says to work out your own salvation. So I get to work this thing out and decide what is a sin for me and what is not. How I want to see Jesus and how I don't. I can work this own thing out in my own way. You do it your way and I'll do it my way and we'll both work it out on our own. That is not what Paul is saying here. As a matter of fact, one of the things he's most specifically saying is when he says work out your own salvation, what he's saying is the work of salvation that, is, that has happened on the inside of you, live your life in such a way that it works its way out into every area of your life. Live your life in such a way that the, but that the grace that Jesus extended to you, the love and the mercy that he extended to you, the salvation that he extended to you, the redemption that he extended to you, it makes its way into every fiber of your being, every conversation, every thought pattern, every motive, every action, everything you do. Live it in such a way that you're working out of the salvation that Jesus gave to you. Doesn't mean decide how you want to come to Jesus. No, no, no. Decide how you want to be saved. Decide, no, no, no. Remember, it was a common salvation. Same way for everybody. But we confuse this thing. We get it all messed up. And we believe today more about more of the faith in my heart than the faith once for all delivered. Verse 4. Notice these men who were teaching this. He's talking about false teachers here. They crept in unnoticed. They crept in unnoticed. You know, if a bear walked in the room right now, you would all turn around. When my face went white, you, you would all turn around, see a bear, know it was a bear, scream and run. Right? Ain't nobody going up to pet the bear. Ain't nobody going up to give him a peppermint and, and see if he'll, if he'll do a shake like a, like a dog or something. Roll up. No, no, no. We are running. Because it's a bear and we know it's a bear. But what Jude says is, people come into the kingdom of God, they come into the church, and they don't come in with a big sign that says, danger, run from me. They come in unnoticed. This is the way the enemy likes to work. He slips in. Uh, the inference in the Greek here as is as if he came in a side door. Everybody was coming in this way, but when everybody got in, we were guarding the entrance, but he slipped in the side door and we didn't notice that he came in. Watch out. Because these men are teaching you wrong. Uh, when we were in Flagstaff, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of crazy people living in Flagstaff. I'm, going, I'm not even gonna lie to you. And there's people. We're driving down the road, and there's these two guys with signs. And one guy said, like, um, you know, God loves homosexuals, uh, or something like this. And the other guy sign says, God hates homosexuals, kill them all, or something crazy like this. And they're like having arguments with each other. They say they're there like every day, arguing, just arguing, debating with each other all the time. They're on the same street corner. That's like this is what they do their whole life is sit there with a sign. But nobody believes the crazy guy with the sign. We don't believe him. The guy that says the world's going to end tomorrow, you know, no, we don't believe those guys. But you give a guy and you, and you put minister in front of his name or pastor in front of his name. You give him a website. You give him a TV show. You give him a church with a couple of members in it. And suddenly we believe them. And Jude is saying, be careful because these guys slip in unnoticed. 
State Farm commercial. You may have seen it. Came on. I saw it the other day. And there's a young guy out there doing something with his iPhone about, about his car. And the girl comes out, and uh, their conversation goes something like this. You know, he said, well, where did you hear that? And, and she said, well, I heard it on the Internet. Y'all seen that one? And, and she says, everything on the Internet is true. And he says, where did you hear that? On the Internet. And then she says, oh, here comes my date. He's a French model, and it's this big, like, goofy-looking guy. Where did you meet him? On the Internet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, but but this is this is just because someone says they're a, a man of God and a preacher and a pastor or whatever doesn't mean that we should listen to them and trust everything they say, because false teachers sneak in unnoticed, and they're leading us astray and we don't even realize it. So be careful. If you are listening to someone and you're watching someone on television or listening to a CD or listening to someone preach and something isn't quite right in your spirit. You don't have to make a big issue, but go to someone that you trust. Go to a pastor, go to an elder that you trust and say, what do you think about this person? There are people on TV right now, major people on TV that right now that I don't fully trust. I don't, I don't fully agree with what, they're, if what they're teaching. And I'm not going out and making a campaign against him. But here's what, here's what Jude said they do. And we're going to close here. He said, uh, they turn the grace of our God into lewdness. Lewdness is an ancient term we don't often use anymore, but it literally means sin practiced without shame. Sin practiced without shame, uh, without a sense of conscience uh, or, a, or, or decency. So we just practice sin and don't care. So they turn the grace of our Lord God into lewdness. What is he saying right here? Usually this term is referred to sexual sins, sexual immorality, sensual sins, lust, things like this. But it also refers heavily to anti-biblical teaching. Uh, They deny the truth and teach the lies without any kind of remorse or or any kind of shame. This has also been known uh, throughout history as antinomianism. Antinomianism, anti meaning against, nomian meaning the law. So, so the, the word literally means against the law. Because of grace, I push away the law and I don't have to live by any of the laws because of grace. Because Jesus did what he did and he extended grace to us, we don't have to live by any of the laws. So now you can do anything you want to do, live any way you want to live because of the grace of God. Antinomianism. I can do whatever I want to because of the grace. It gets to the point where people that believe in this way, and they may not even know they're antinomianists, but they believe this way. Then if you believe in right and wrong based on God's law, you are looked at as hate mongers. There are several big time preachers that if I said their name, many of you would know them right now that are preaching this message. Now, they don't call it antinomianism, but I'm telling you, they preach because of the grace of God. You can live what you want to live, and God, God's grace will cover you. But that isn't what Jesus said. Be careful. It's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, the Bible clearly tells us, here we go, now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. You know what his commandments are? The law. Verse 4, he who says, he's going to take it a step further. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 
So if you say, I don't have to keep the law and I don't have to live by the commandments because of grace, John said to you, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. I don't know how much straightforward, more straightforward it can get than that right there. But this is what these men preach. Jude talked about them because they've existed all the way back to the days of Jude, the days of Paul, the days of, of Peter. Grace gone to a form that Jesus and God never intended it for it to go to. Forgiving sin does not take away the law. It affirms it. Jesus himself said that he came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it. He came to fulfill the law. So we don't push ourselves to a place where the grace of God turns into lewdness and we deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm out of time this evening. But I want you to understand something. The, the same grace that saves us should give us the will and the desire to live for him. Don't turn the grace of God into lewdness. Don't, don't say, because of grace, I can sin without shame. No, no, no. Because of his grace, I will live according to the word of God. Because of his grace, I'm going to do everything in my power to live the kingdom lifestyle, to live according to his word, to follow his commandments, because I don't want it to be said of me. I thought I knew him, but I didn't know him because I didn't keep his commandments. Can I get a big, big amen? amen? Contend for the faith. If we don't, we will lose it. Teach the Bible, read the Bible, live and model right and wrong according to the laws of God.